Welcome to the Catapulting Commission's podcast. This is the place where we discuss how to maximize performance and improve retention with today's modern sales force. Every conversation on the show has one goal in mind, and that is to catapult your commission. I'm your host, Anthony Garcia, international best-selling author, motivational speaker, and a lifelong sales enthusiast. Be sure to join me every week as we interview sales leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world. We will discuss best practices and ensure that you leave motivated and inspired to take action. Now, let's enjoy today's episode. Catapult Commissions family, what's up team? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Catapult Commissions podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Garcia. Today's guest makes round two, meaning it is second time on the Catapult Commissions podcast and he has some valuable information to share with you guys, specifically to you, the sales leader looking to elevate your team. You're going to hear what my buddy has to say as we talk about hiring key performers, key killer salespeople, the top performers that help your company grow. Let me tell you about our guest if this is your first time tuning in. Nigel Green is a sought-after sales advisor. He's the author of Revenue Harvest, a sales leader's almanac for planning the perfect year. He's widely regarded authority on improving sales teams' performance. He has worked with dozens of B2B sales teams across the globe to more than double their sales results. With over 10 years of executive experience ranging from Fortune 500 companies to early-stage growth companies and a certification in talent, talent optimization, he is sought after by executives to improve sales team performance. His insights have been featured in top business publications such as Forbes, Inc. Magazine, Fast Company, Entrepreneur, and Business Insider. Nigel was recognized as a top consultant by Selling Power Magazine in 2021 and in 2022. And as a consultant and as an advisor, he can help any sales team with big sales goals, experience consistent sales growth through utilizing his seven sales leadership principles. Nigel, welcome back to the show, bud. Anthony, thanks for having me. I tell you, when, I, when you hear that bio, it just, it's like, man, guy sure is proud of himself. Those things are, uh, they're often too long. No worries, man. We just want people, it's, it's building your credibility. I want the Catapult Commission's family to know that, man, you are the real deal. And you know, you know what I love about those things, Nigel? Uh, we, are, we are on podcast episode, I don't know, 160, 170 or something like that. In the beginning, I was like, oh, I got I to gotta build the credibility of my guests, but also build the credibility of my show. Now, I mean, we're on third year of production. The show is having a consistent, still consistent growth. So I just, I love for the family to know that, hey, man, we are still working our ass off to get great guests on the show. And you fit that category, bud. Uh, well, well, congrats on three years and nearing, you know, over you know, a lot of episodes, man. You, you've crossed a, a big milestone in the number of episodes. So congrats for all that you've done. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it, man. So let's talk about this, bud. So you are, you, you, we, we often look in the world of sales is, hey, it's the, the blocking and tacting, the, the skills of, hey, let me, let me show you the features and benefits. Let me deliver something of value. And that is for the individual contributor. But as the salespreneur, meaning you're the founder of your company and you have a founder-led sales organization, or you are the the salespreneur, which is the sales manager, right? The middle manager, the executive leader that's trying to build a team around them. When people come into hiring sales reps, let's just jump right into it, man. What's the biggest mistake you see people making right now when they say, hey, I want to go hire a salesperson? Yeah, so the biggest mistake that I see, Anthony, and, and you did a good job of setting this up, that this mistake exists 
for early stage companies where the founder is going to hire their first salesperson uh, and it's it persists to companies that have been around for decades, publicly traded, privately held by private equity. They know who their customers are. They've been selling into the market for a long time. They've got layers of sales leadership. Everyone, every company struggles with this. They think they're good at hiring salespeople. Let me tell you, hear it from me. You may not, you may not like this. Most founders, most VPs, most sales managers suck at hiring salespeople. And if you think I'm being critical, I would challenge anyone that sees that as a personal indictment to go look at the data. The data shows that the average tenure of a professional seller is less than one year, which means for whatever reason, it wasn't a fit. Either they chose to leave or you chose to have them leave, but they left in less than a year on average. And so if you hired them, it's your fault. Even if they leave to go get another job, a dream opportunity, it's still on your record. And what I'm doing in this course is trying to help. You're never going to have a perfect hiring record. No one's ever going to have one. But what I'm trying to do is improve the hiring capabilities of sales managers to tackle another bigger problem, which is the average tenure of a sales leader is less than 18 months. And you can mm. see how that lines up. If you're hiring people that leave and on average in a, in a year or less, it's going to be really hard for you as a sales leader to consistently build a team that delivers when you're always replacing someone on your team. So I look at, look, I I've interviewed over 5,000 salespeople ranging in roles from that first seller for a founder to large sales teams that have complex sales organizations. And I found that there really are about three problems that stand in the way of making a good sales hire. And I hope that we can talk about those today. Yeah. Let, let, let's talk about that. There's, there's a couple things there, right? You you shared. I just I have to say this. I mean, the ten the the one year sales rep turnover, the eighteen month sales leader turnover. I, it is it's scary to be honest, with you, man. It is it it's the reality though. And I look back at my life in corporate America, and one of the last roles I had, I was in a sales leadership role. I was in that role for six years, and I remember the the entire company was dealing with this massive increase of sales rep turnover. And and these roles were very well compensated. I mean, there there wasn't somebody who was working with me who was making less than 200, 250 grand a year. I mean, these were highly compensated roles. And we had a hard time retaining people. And I and I remember what you just shared right now hits because I remember having a conversation with, with my VP and saying, hey, I got to be honest with you, man. I've been in this role for six years. You're the fourth person that's been my VP. Like, you, you want to eliminate this turnover? <laughs> We, it starts top down. We need some credibility that, hey, people aren't leaving. But every time the VP email comes out, it's a new name. It's kind of scary to people. So I, I love that you share the data. And, and, and I guess I love it knowing that it's a problem that's happening and impacting people all over. So when we, as the frontline supervisor, whether I'm the founder of the company or the person making that hiring decision, you mentioned that there's things you look for when you're hiring somebody or you're, there's 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 ways to determine or mitigate mitigate risk is how I heard it for you. So what are those things we're looking for when we're hiring somebody? 
But what I'm trying to do, first of all, Anthony, so you've been here before. Uh, you've been the frontline manager, uh, in, and you've seen been the game long enough. CEO, VP says, we need three more people. Go, go hire three salespeople. Okay, And if you're the founder and you're going to hire a person, you immediately take to the streets, put out a job posting, start recruiting, hire a recruiting agency, put it on Indeed, have someone in HR start work, you know, putting out the job description on all these job boards. And what you didn't do was go back and do a job analysis. It was like, the hell's a job analysis? Okay, well, I don't care if you've been in the role for 10 years. If you've been in that job leading that exact team for 10 years, you probably haven't gone back at any point in the past 10 years and looked at how the day-to-day responsibilities have changed. The job description you wrote five years ago, the things that a salesperson did five years ago are not what salespeople do today. If you don't believe me, go ask your salespeople that are successful in the role that were successful five years ago and that are still successful today. They will tell you, hey, Mr. Manager, the job's very different. So guess what? The qualifications are very different. Good for them because they've adjusted, they've adapted, and they've modified what they do. But the job analysis, which is what gets skipped, is going back and saying what has to be done, what has to be done correctly in order for you to succeed in this role. For some roles, it's writing very compelling copy. Don't think salespeople write good copy. That's that's what marketing does. No, salespeople in a lot of roles have to write really compelling copy. Maybe it's doing a complex Business case analysis. Okay, well, you've got to understand what it is. That's the job analysis. That determines the job qualifications, meaning before we know what we need from a competency, uh, educational perspective, uh, previous selling roles, we got to know what what we're trying to hire for. That gets skipped altogether, and we go and we hire someone that's got industry experience, used to work for us, works for a competitor without thinking about what do we need. And that sets us up to just make a lot of mistakes in the process because we didn't do the boring and the hard work of getting really clear on what we need. in the. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, I, I can't help as you say that, right? There, I don't know if you remember this YouTube video. It was like, a, I mean, this is 12, 13 years ago. It was like a animated YouTube video of someone having a conversation with the salesperson, like death of salesman. Like it was, this was like the original meme video where there's like two cartoons and one's talking to the sales manager and the sales rep tells the sales manager, I don't care what you did when you sold 20 years ago. Like the job's not the same. Like it, it was pretty vulgar, profane field, but it was kind of comedic. But as I'm saying that, what you're telling me is true. Like, holy crap. How often do we look back and say, our job has changed? I mean, let's just think about this right now. The marketing of what it takes to generate sales. The marketing department is not doing what they did in 2017 today in 2022. Like they're just not. They're doing a new strategy, a new technique, a new approach. It would only make sense that we look at the salesperson and say, hey, have we made those same adjustments and those same pivots? I, I love I love where you're doing that. Now, when you have somebody says, okay, I'm going to go review the job qualifications and the job description. What are some of the things you're looking for? Like, I, I, I hear this happen, this question all the time. I want to hire somebody, right? What should I be looking for when I'm hiring somebody? Like, is there an ideal candidate? Like, what are the non-negotiables? Like, how do I decipher the, 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 the crappy resumes from the good resumes? So what are, what are these sales leaders and, and sales founders looking for when they hire somebody? 
So that's two different. So those are really two two separate things, and, okay. I, and I make a distinction about this in the course. Okay, so the first one is is the qualifications. Okay, so I can't tell you, Anthony, how many times I I look at a job description. Like, let's just start like basic, top of the funnel, sales development, uh, you know, lead generating, and they and it says something like hundred calls a day, a hundred call or hundred total outbound activities a day. Right. That that's kind of like. That's for some reason, this hundred number seems to be pretty common. Well, then if you go and interview anyone that is actually successful at doing outbound, they'll tell you that it's not about the volume. It's about the quality. Mm. So we, we, we're putting in a job description and we're going to hire animals that are going to just go maniacally do activity without any thoughtfulness. But yet inside our own department, inside our own company, if we went and sat down with someone that was successful, they'd say, actually, I do about. 15 to 20, but it takes a shit ton of time because I have to go research the person on LinkedIn, go read their 10K, go look at their values and craft something that's different because this same prospect is going to get 1,500 LinkedIn messages this month from everybody else because they're hiring people to go send out 100 messages a day. So see, that that's one thing. So like, you got to know truly what success looks like. Then the second part is, okay, well, how are they wired? Well, Salesforce.com published a study and they looked at what, what is the anatomy of a, sales per, a successful salesperson. And one of the things that was really remarkable about that study to me is it doesn't matter where they went to school. It doesn't matter if you went to junior college or you went to Harvard. It has no bearing on your ability to be successful in sales. It doesn't matter if you studied business, if you studied marketing, if you had a sales job, uh, you know, if you currently work in the organization, that doesn't matter. So some things that did matter is that they had a science, technology, engineering, or mathematics background, hmm. and that they had been doing a similar role in another organization for a minimum of two years. So getting really clear about, and that's the distinction, a similar role. If, if you're not really clear, it's not that they worked for a competitor or worked in the industry. It's that in the job analysis, the tactics you're asking them to do to be successful, they've got a couple of years of doing that coupled with a scientific technology, an, an analytical brain, they will be successful. So the qualifications piece is has very little to do with where you worked and who you worked for, but what you did in that role. Mm. It, it, I, I love that you use Salesforce and, and their background on that. I mean, I was just re- rereading a, a classic sales book called Oldsman Sales Machine, and it, and it talked about hiring sales superstar and, and Chet Holmes. One of the things he should, he literally shared, he's like, I don't care about the qualifications. I have 20 years, I have 24 year olds working for me who outsell the 20 year veteran. And so I read that, I mean, this, this book's 15, 17. I mean, this is a, a pretty old book. I don't, I'd have to look at it, but let's just say it's 15 or 20 years old. Right. And so, and he was talking about that in, in, in founder led sales companies. You hear salesforce.com, massive conglomerate talking about, Hey, I don't, I don't, I don't care about that. Like, I just care that you have these dis- distinct traits or distinct uh, characteristics. And so uh, I, I, it goes to show, I mean, we have to define from what I'm hearing is, is in advance of what is it that I'm looking for and, and what is it that this person has? So, yep. I, I so love then let's play that forward. That. Okay, so, okay. So then when we get clear on that, here's the second mistake I see, Anthony. So there is no process. Okay, mm-hmm. and, and, and there are going to be folks listening to this that say, Nigel, you've lost your mind. We've got a process. HR runs it. They tell me what we do. No, no, no. I'm not talking about an HR process. 
It's great that you have an HR process. You probably have some non-negotiable steps that HR needs you to do from a, a legal, political perspective, and we're going to weave them into our process. But a sales interview process is fundamentally different, and here's why. Salespeople interview for a living. That's all they do, okay? So when you take your professionally trained interviewer and put them in front of Sally, the HR manager, she's going to love every one of them. And it's not an indictment on Sally. She's just ill-equipped. She just got off an interview where she was interviewing someone for an accountant role, and then she was interviewing someone for an engineering job. And now you put a, a ninja like Anthony in front of her. It's got a lot of energy. He's articulate. He knows exactly what she's going to ask, and he knows what the answer is. She is not equipped to handle that type of animal. So we have to do that because HR wants to be involved, but we also have to build out a selling interviewing process that mirrors the way we want them to sell in the job. Mm. So here's the, here's the problem. If your job is asking them to send a lot of cold copy via LinkedIn or email to the prospect, yet your interview process doesn't require that skill, if you don't have them display that during the interview process, are you any smarter about whether or not they're going to be successful? No. If your interview process, or excuse me, if your sales process requires that the salesperson has to do a complicated business case to go and present to the customer, but yet you don't do that in the interview process? How do you know if they can do that? So we have to build a sales process that mirrors the buying process, a sales interview process that matches the way the customer wants to buy. And most interview processes don't do that. They don't have any rigor. They don't have any process. There's no intention to every interview. Largely, we just go on, ah, I felt good. They interviewed great. Oh, it was a great interview. They're, oh, so did you hear that joke? Did you see the way they were? They closed us at the end. It's all this intuition stuff. It's not a process that mirrors the way your customers want to buy. You know, man, hearing you say that, I, I, I think about my, my days in, in corporate America hiring people. There was a point in time where I, I went and I said, hey, I, I don't want HR to interview my people. Like I, I, I just, at this point, you're going you're gonna to give me the same feedback for every candidate. You can't distinguish what I'm looking for. And you're going to come with some offbeat, off thing. Like at the end of the day, I'm going to manage this person. And as a sales leader, I used to say, like, I'll, I stand by my hire. Like if, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'll, I'll stand in the hot seat. Um, so, so, yeah, because you're absolutely correct. I was terrified. When someone would interview with me and they were so good at interviewing, I would pause and be like, I got to be honest with you, man. You interviewed too good for me. How many interviews have you done? Like, if you're always interviewing, you're not selling. So, like, let's, let, I would call people on it. So, I love that. But it's mind blowing to me that there's companies that don't have a system in place for people to view or to interview in the job they're going to do. I mean, I just hired a video editor for the company, and people wouldn't interview with me unless they showed me samples of the work they've done that was relevant to what I'm looking for them to hire on. Like, I don't care about, I didn't care about the video editing you would do for, for, someone over there that didn't have their, their, their face on brand. Like I wanted someone in alignment with what we do as a company um, to hear, and, you know, you think about that in the sales process, people doing that without saying, Hey, I want to see what you do. I think you're, you're setting yourself up for failure. Like I, that, that's, that's good, my man. So then, and you kind of alluded to this, cause there are a lot of sales leaders that get that. Okay. Well, HR is not going to help me. So then here's the third mistake in an absence of a job analysis coupled with an absence of a dedicated process and your bias 
because that you think you're going to be a better interviewer than human resources. And I don't know, maybe you are okay, mm-hmm. but you rely on instinct and intuition and your own biases too much. And you muddy your own ability to be objective during the hiring process. And let me tell you how I do that. Cause we all have biases. I say, I want to talk to her because she played college soccer. Why? Because Nigel loves ex-college athletes. Why? Because Nigel was an ex-college athlete. And Nigel thinks that because you were a competitor and you played a collegiate sport, that you're going to somehow have some level of hunger and competitive edge in the sales role. Well, guess what? Nigel has been wrong on that so many flipping times, Anthony, that now he knows just because they played football, just because they played baseball, maybe, but you have to have a process that teases that out because I have hired some ex-football players that can't even tie their flipping shoes, all because of my bias, and it's my mistake. And so you have your own bias. I don't know what yours is. Everybody has one. But here's how it shows up. It's, I really like Nigel. Man, he, he interviewed really well. I'm going to skip this step because of insert my bias. And it could be that used to work for me or was highly recommended, played a college sport, has blue hair, has green. I, I don't know what it is, but because of that, it clouds our judgment and it, it makes us think we can skip the process and it usually fails us. Oh, it's dagger to the heart, man. You're, you're absolutely correct, right? It, it, it is the bias. And I, I probably share some of those bias. I love the college athlete hiring them. Uh, you know, I used to look at, at people that I would work through and I was always like, man, I want to know like the biggest failure you had. Like the bigger the failure, the bigger the adversity you overcome, the more I loved you. Like it was just, it was a bias I had. I'm like, oh, if you overcome the failure of whatever it was you dealt with in life, you can overcome the failure of being told no all day long and getting up on the next morning and doing it again with a smile, enthusiasm, committed to the cause. So, uh, yeah, you're hearing, I mean, I guess so, so you have to establish the process. Like, right, maybe my biases did. Apologies to my old HR lady. Yeah, I definitely booted her out of some interview processes. But let's talk about the interview process. Is there a set process that you have established for, 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 for hiring the sales leader, for hiring, the, not even the sales leader, hiring the sales professional? Is that process different? for a founder-led company versus an established organization? Like what is the process you're recommending and, and is there any variances depending on the size of the company? So I have a six-step process and I go in detail on how to do it in the course, okay? I'll, I'll give you the, the brief overview. Uh, I include HR in the process. I have HR, um, I give them what I'm looking for in a resume and a LinkedIn profile, which by the way, LinkedIn profile is more important to me than the actual resume. I don't even look at the resume except for one interview. Don't look at it except for one interview. But I have HR look at it in conjunction with how they're using their LinkedIn profile to see if they're even going to make it to me. So that's that's one thing. I do the very first interview. I do it. It's 30 minutes. It's always 30 minutes. It's a very uncomfortable interview. It's uncomfortable for the candidate. And I'll argue it's even more uncomfortable for the interviewer, which is why I've, I've given some some recordings of me doing this interview in the course. It's called the rapid fire interview. I will just barrage the candidate with questions that they never expected to hear from me ever in an interview in the first 15 minutes because I know they are good at interviewing. And so I'm trying to throw them off and get through their programming to see if I can get to a real answer, someone that's going to be honest and someone that's going to be real. So I might ask questions like, 
Anthony, what's the most money you've ever made in your, in your in a year? How much of it did you spend? How much of it did you save? What'd you spend it on? When you saved it, what'd you do with it? Tell me about a time that you lied at work. When you need advice on something, who do you call? Tell me the last time someone that you respect told you a piece of feedback that you didn't agree with. How did you address it? Tell me about the very first job you ever had, not out of school. What was your very first job? Was it a news route? Were you a lifeguard? Did you clean cars? Tell me what you did with it. Tell me the last book you read. Tell me what time you start your day, not what time you go to work, what time you get up. Tell me when you work out. Do you work out in the morning? Do you work out in the evening? Oh, you don't work out. So are you just lazy in that aspect of your life or you're lazy in all aspects of your life? So, I mean, I'm just killing them with questions because if you can't get through that, how in the hell are you going to go sit in front of my prospect and help them think through large, complex business problems that they've got to solve? Mm. You can't. You just can't. I love it, man. I love, I love that rapid fire approach. I mean, 100%, right? It's, it's nothing, right? What you just shared, right? all those questions, it's nothing like the traditional sales interview people think they're preparing for. It's like, hey, man, I thought I was interviewing for this, this six-figure job with this fancy startup selling amazing software, and you're asking me about the first job I had, and it was watering my neighbor's lawn for $10 a day, and I did it, and like, I don't, you know, now you're asking me about the most money I made. When do I get to tell you about my brag book of how I ranked number three at oracle.com? Like, that's, I love that rapid fire approach. Now, in that rapid fire approach, like, what are you, let's just take candidate for a second here. Some candidates are going to get razzled. Like, I mean, it's, 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 it's inevitable. You're going to come this rapid fire. You're going to razzle a candidate. So what are you looking for? Are you looking for someone to be calm, cool? In, in, under control? Or are you looking for someone that can rapid fire right back at you? Like, what are we looking for when we do this? Well, the great question. I'm looking for character and chemistry. I'm okay. looking for someone because I think that's more important than competency. I talk about this in, in Revenue Harvest, the three C's of hiring. Character and chemistry are more important than competency because if you have character and if you have chemistry with me, we'll, we'll figure out the competency. Character means that you live by a certain set of principles that guide the way you make decisions, meaning that I work out because whatever. I read my Bible or I read this or I do whatever because I, you know, I practice Brazilian jiu-jitsu because I put my kids to bed every night. I'm looking for you to tell me that there's something bigger that you subscribe to, okay? Then the, the character piece, I'm trying to decide where do we have common ground? Because I'm going to spend more time with you if you work with me than I do with my friends, sometimes my spouse, and my kids. And I, if I don't like you, if we don't have common ground, I'm probably not going to make the investments in you that I need to make as your leader. When you call, I'm going to look at it and say, oh, gosh, that's just knucklehead again. Or, and so a good way to, to determine if, if you've got chemistry with someone is to think of it this way. If at the end of this rapid fire interview, I ask myself, if I got stuck in an Uber with this person, would it be terrible? If I had to sit beside them on a plane, would it be terrible? And I am ripping into them during this interview to determine, do I want to sit by you on a plane? And if I do, we have chemistry. Mm. I love that. You know, it's, it's funny you say that. I, I, I manage the sales team. We manage the state of Hawaii. So there was numerous times I was sitting next to someone who worked for me on that five and a half, six hour flight. And 
I, I love that. I, in my mind, I used to always think like, man, that's because I've sat on it before where I'm like, ah, oh, this person's not as entertaining as, or I'm not enjoying my time as much as I have with other people. So it's just uh, interesting to hear you say that in, in the rapid fire process. So if we go through the rapid fire process in the interview stages, you said there's six stages. We got about five or six minutes left. Let's high level what it is. The other five, yep. and then and then I'd love to talk with you a little bit. I, I know Nigel, you have a brand new course that outlines this in depth, so we'll spend a little bit of time at the end talking about that. But what are the other five stages? Well, so in, I'm going to do a personality assessment. I use the predictive index. I think it's the best. If you want to talk to me about it offline, we you can send me a note, and I'll tell you why I think it's the best. Um, I do a written assessment. And there's there's not a sales role in the world now where you don't have to write and use the English language. And what I'm looking for is. Are you going to use emojis or IDK instead of I don't know with my customer that is a different generation that's going to hate the fact that you just sent them an email that looks like a text message that they got from their grandson? I got to figure all this stuff out. And so I, have, I do a written assessment to do that. And then I do one very, I told you there was one interview where I look at your resume. The whole purpose of this interview where I look at your resume, it's very prescriptive, is I am picking the references because I have learned I don't give a rip how many references you give me, they're all going to say the same thing. So I get to pick the references. And so I'm going to determine which customer at that company that you said you closed a million dollar deal, I'm going to call them. And guess what? If you are uncomfortable giving me their information or making an introduction, I'm beginning to wonder whether you actually closed a million dollar deal or if you just got credit for it, or if you really played that role. I think I'm looking for someone that you've really built a career around excellence your old customers, your old bosses, your old colleagues are going to be glad for me to call. I, I don't need you to cherry pick them for me. And then the last stage that's really important is I need you to show me that you know how to sell the way we have to sell. So I, there's some kind of presentation element where you have to, where I will either give you the materials that we, our sales team uses and you got to sell me the same way my sales team sells it, or you got to pitch me on something that you know really well and I get an idea of, of how you're selling. So that's really what I what I'm using the interview process to do in those six stages is to and what I tell people is the whole point of this. I don't care how much time lapses between steps. You can go as slow as fast as you want. It's that we don't skip steps because when you skip a step, the first time you skip that written assessment, then you hire this person that's really great in a presentation, and then you realize they send emails like they text. They're a moron. They can't even use the English language. You regret that. Or when you skip the presentation because you used to work with them and you realize that this person actually cannot even use PowerPoint. What was I thinking five years ago when I hired them and they can't work in this job? So I don't skip steps for that reason. Oh, man, I love it. A systematized process that outlines and we're, mitig we're, like we're minimizing the risk in hiring people. Look, you know, Catapult Commission's family, if you're hiring people, Look, no, no one's perfect. Like, I, I think you hit the nail on the head, right? We all think we better than we all think we are better than we really are, and we definitely have bias. We definitely skip steps, as you said. The bias or skipping the step. I'm like, oh, dude, heart, like dagger in my heart, because yeah, that that was me. I, I totally get it. Um, so I love how you you created this process to to minimize the risk. And if you're hiring people, guys, with all honesty, I, take the time and, and learn it, because you are responsible for your hires, right? And Anybody who's hired salespeople will tell you, I've hired good ones, but I've also hired some bad ones. Like it just, it's, it's, it's inevitable. So Nigel, you put a course together with this and that helps walk the sales leader on hiring people. Tell us a little bit about the course. Well, the course goes through the, the three important phases of the hiring process. So there's the prepare phase, 
There's the identify phase and then the selection phase. So I'm going to teach you everything that I've learned the hard way from the job analysis all the way up until the 90-day review. I give you templates. I give you tools. You get to see sample interviews. I teach you how to write a proper job description, how to scorecard that job description, how I give you questions to ask during every step of the interview and videos to show you how to do it. Look, this, this is just like a labor of love for me. I'm charging $250 for it. I am not getting rich. Nobody's going to be on private jets as a result of this, but it's to try. I'm just tired of sales managers because what I see in my work is sales managers that don't know how to do this. I'm tired of working with sales managers that don't know how to hire the right way. So it's more of a selfish endeavor for me to say, all right, I'm going to teach sales managers how to get better at this so that I can rid the world of sales managers that don't know how to hire. Mm, I love it, man. For 250 bucks. I mean, I thought you were going to tell me this thing was 2,500, 10 grand. Holy crap. If I'm hiring salespeople, I'd pay 250 just to take a chance to not suck. Like that is, that's a no brainer. Catapult. Well, and there's a reason why it's not 2,500 bucks. I decided that I wanted this. I didn't want you to have to go get corporate approval to hire to do this course, you, you're gonna you're gonna go spend this much at a bar, or you're gonna go spend this much at, at a Barry's boot camp this weekend. Do it yourself. Go pay for it. And and what you're not getting is you're not getting a photo shoot of me um, in a big studio. There's no private jet. It's just me, same way I'm riffing with you, and the deck that I put together that shows all these resources. So the production value is sufficient. But it's not overly produced, and you don't want to pay for that. You want to pay for the information, not the fancy lights, not all of the intros and outros and the camera angles. You just want the information, and I'm giving it to you. Man, I love it. I love it. Well, Catapult Commissions family, we will have a link to Nigel's course. And the name of the course, is it Revenue Harvest as well? And it's just hiring salespeople. Simple, as, simple and clear, passes the title test. You already know what it is. Let's go hire some good salespeople. Nigel, man, well, thank you for coming back on the show. We wish you much success. Hiring salespeople, the course is out right now, Catapult Commissions family. You'll find a link to that course in the show notes. If you're listening to the audio version, click the show notes. If you're watching the YouTube video or seeing us on social media, we'll have those links in the descriptions below. As always, Catapult Commissions family, you know what we'd love for you to do. Be sure to like like this episode, comment, let us know your feedback, subscribe to future episodes. But more importantly, man, Go check out Nigel's content. Nigel, before we end, what is the social media or websites or stuff that people can find you on? How do we get connected with you? If you're on LinkedIn, you'll find me. It's pretty easy. Uh, if you want to see more of my stuff, you can go to nigelgreen.co, nigelgreen.co. If you want the book, Revenue Harvest, you can get it anywhere books are sold, or you can go to therevenueharvest.com, get the book for $5, no problem. Easy enough. Revenueharvest.com, nigelgreen.co. We'll put all those links together in the show notes. Catapult Commissions family, you know what to do. Like, subscribe, comment. We'll see you next week. And Nigel, kick ass, my man. Good luck, buddy. Let's do it. Catapulting Commissions family, that does it for today's episode. If you found some value, please be sure to head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. Don't forget to subscribe. That way you're notified of new episodes. If you want to see the video portion of this podcast, head over to YouTube and look up Catapulting Commissions Podcast. Finally, if you want a free copy of Catapulting Commissions, be sure to text the word HELLO to 661-228-8967. Again, text the word HELLO to 661-228-8967. Thanks for listening to the show. I'll see you next week.